0: Luke chapter 15 from starting from verse 11 Jesus continued There was a man who had two sons The younger one said to his father Father give me my share of the estate So he divided his property between them Not long after that the younger son got together all he had set off for his for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living after he had spent everything there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him on his fields sent him to his fields to feed pigs he longed to fill his stomach with pods that the pigs were eating disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat. So I could celebrate with my friends, but when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, said the father, "you, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours.
1: Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word to us. It's a light for our path. It is food for our soul. May it be so for us this morning. Amen. Um, we're beginning Advent today. And, uh, and I, I love the fact that we're beginning Advent in the snow Uh, Because uh, we're beginning a season, and and in this season we're going to be approaching the Word of God in a slightly different way uh, from the uh, long series we've had in John. Amy has drawn up uh, an excellent framework through which we may encounter and be encountered by what God has to say to us. And it revolves around this concept of coming home to God. And not only is that a really appropriate Advent theme, as we think about God coming to us in Jesus and coming to be back with us uh, when he returns, so it's not only is an appropriate Advent theme, I think it's an appropriate theme for this Advent, this moment, uh, you and me uh, right now in this time. Because I don't know about you, But there's something in this last years that has made me long for home. And and I see that not just in myself but around. So you and me, perhaps our neighbours, the world around us, we ache for a homecoming. And there's something in there that's at the broken heartbeats of everything that's in us, in our anxieties and our sins and our insecurities, and also in the things that are driving and striving and pursuing and pushing in this life. So I'm going to do it slightly different today. Rather than starting with the passage, which is really well known, I hope most people have heard that story before, I want to actually start with ourselves and ask a question, echoing what Nick said at the beginning of the service. Where is your home? Where is your home? And here's a way into that. I've been, uh, over the last few weeks, I've been reading this book. It's a book called Christianity Rediscovered by Vincent Donovan. It's an oldie but a goodie. I think it's written in the 60s or the 70s. Um, And uh, Vincent Donovan was a, a missionary to the Maasai in, in, in that time, in the 60s, and he wrote down what he learned, and in fact he wrote down what he was taught uh, by the Maasai. And one of the things he learned was that when he interacted with them, he realised he wasn't dealing with a group of individuals so much. He was interacting with the people who consisted primarily as a network of communities, the concept of community. Was at the heart and of who these people saw how these people saw themselves, and so he wondered how do you define that sense of community? Family wasn't enough; that was too big a concept. A Tribe was too big a group. Even clan was too big a group. And in the end, he concluded this: a community is the group of people where if something happens to one of them, the whole group. Is affected and cares. And that turns into a point of self reflection. Who is your community? If something happened to you, who would be affected? That is your community. Those ones are the ones to whom you belong in some sense. They're the ones with whom you dwell, even if you're not actually physically living with them, and even if perhaps you are physically, geographically separated. They are your community. And he realised that the Maasai had a lot to teach the Western world. On a visit back to America, he asked a classroom of teenagers that question, who is your community? Who would be affected if something happened to you? And one typical teenager replied, oh, that's easy. If something bad happened to me, the people who would be affected would be my mum and my friend. A community of two And it was indicative of how I think many of us, particularly in the West, live our lives. We are used to living alone. Even if we're surrounded by neighbours or fellow commuters or even church friends, we get used to living alone because our real communities, the ones who are affected by us, are often so small. So where is your home? Who does your life affect? Whose lives affect yours? And many of us, I think, are beginning to recognise that questions like that are the questions that really matter. Beyond career path, beyond financial stability, beyond church growth in my world, life is more about dwelling and belonging. Who are you at home with? Where is your home? Here's another way in. Uh, one of the things that Jill and I have been learning in the last couple of years, and especially about, is about sharing our home. Um, it's a great gift from God that we have the privilege of living in a stupidly big vicarage, and we have been resolved to how do we share that blessing with others and, uh, and have our family share life with others by literally living with them. And, and we've found that as we've done that, a different sort of family has extended outwards. And there's something precious about it. And we've been exploring and thinking about it because we want to do this life-sharing well, and we want it to be healthy, And that's involved for us a lot of listening and conversation and consideration. And one of the things that we've had to learn is who can we be at home with, literally? And one of the things we've learned is that that necessarily involves a positive sense of vulnerability. Home is undermined when trust is undermined, when it's eroded through malice or even just negligence. For a home to be a home, you need to be able to drop your guard at least a little bit and simply be yourself. Now, there's always appropriate boundaries, even within typical homes, but they are boundaries of freedom in which I can be me and you can be you. And if there is any provocation at all, then it is rooted and steeped in a desire to do good and to be whole but it rests on being able to drop your guard. Keep meeting together, the writer to the Hebrew churches said, and provoke one another to righteousness. He wants the people of God to be at home with one another. And you can see the flip side of that, the flip side, the opposite of dwelling with someone in this sense, is to be insulated from them. People who are friendly, but not actually friends, who hold you at arm's length with walls and rules and faces to wear. You can even live in the same house and have that, and you're not really at home with them. And I think in this moment, we are tired of that sort of insulation. We long for a home. We long to be able to be unguarded, yet safe provoked only to what is good. We long to be known, seen and embraced and the rest of life's machinations fade away in comparison to that. So where is your home? And of course, it's at this point that the word of God kicks in for us. Not too long ago, uh, we, during our last series, we heard the words of Jesus declaring that he is the vine. It's the name we bear as a church and at the heart of being, the vine is what? There's a word. Non-rhetorical question, let me know. I am the vine. You're the we are the branches. Those who remain. abide, remain, dwell. Right. Similar word. And I used to think, Abide in Christ. Abide in me. What does that mean? I does that sounds really super spiritual. Let's all abide in Christ. Go on, everybody. <claps> abide in Christ. Now. What is it? Is it some sort of super spiritual meditation? What, what does abiding mean? But I think Jesus, all he's simply saying is, be at home with me, is what he's saying. Be in community with me. Drop your walls with me. Stop holding me at arm's length. Be honest, be real, trust my heart, he is saying, and and trust that any provocation I bring towards you is for good and not for harm. And the reality is, um, Jill and I have been doing this job now for close to 20 years. And over that time, I've had numerous conversations with many people who are wrestling with life in all its different ways from from their own sense of guilt to the sin done to them to a lost sense of purpose or vision or grief or whatever it is, each conversation is precious and no two are the same. But if there's anything that's common across us all, and and I've noticed this in myself as well, it's this, much of the negative parts of our life are simply grounded in the fact that at times we simply don't give a damn about God and we think that God doesn't give a damn about us. We are not dwelling with him. We are holding at arm's length and we think that whatever we do doesn't affect him. And whatever he does doesn't affect us. We are not at home with him. And if we live out of that dynamic and then the paths that run from that take us through cynicism and depression and anxiety and addictive comforts, And they land us in fear where we lash out in anger and insecurity and it leads to driving and striving. And why wouldn't it if we think we're on our own and that no one has our back? So let me ask the question again. Where is our home as a church? And where is your home? In the midst of an increasingly volatile world, where the safety nets are fraying and where injustices seem to be increasing and abounding and our expectations for life are, if nothing else, a little unstable. Where is your home? To whom do you belong? Lord, you are my refuge, the psalmist says. My rock, my stronghold, my dwelling place. Can we see what he's grasping? Can we see and what he's looking at? The other week, Jill and I visited Soul Survivor Church in Watford. And uh, we were there for a midweek training day. And uh, if you know some of our story, we know that in our previous post, um, Soul Survivor was one of those places that, Soul Survivor Watford, the church, not the festivals. Well, the festivals are good too, but we met the church. Um, it was a place where we would go to weep and to heal. In that place, we didn't have to lead. We didn't have to carry anyone. We barely had to carry ourselves. God met us in that place, and there we wailed and yelled and were open before him. That's what that place is for us. And it was a silly thing this other week when we were there. Their reopening banners, the, the branding they have out on the street, simply has a banner that says, Welcome home. And (laughs) it made me do that because it proclaimed in branding something that was deep. Welcome home to a place where you are known and embraced and where what happens to you affects not just us but the heart of God himself. It's a divine message from God. Welcome home. I heard a story of a young man. Uh, I think it was a story from an Asian country. I think it was from Thailand, but I can't be sure. And in this story, this man grew up in a village and then left home to go to a city. Being a village dweller, his home was tight knit. You lived together, laughed together, and when you fought with your family, you dealt with it. And whatever was the fruit of your labor, you shared. Your life affected others. And this young man left to go to the city, and it wasn't a malicious thing. There he could earn good money and send it back to his family, his community, and the people of his home. But over the course of time, his heart got hard. He had to fight his own battles in the city, in the world of commerce and industry, and whatever spare money he did find got turned into booze and drugs so that he could keep himself on an emotional even keel. And his focus turned inwards and he forgot his family, his village and his home. His wealth increased but so did his anxiety and his loneliness. He married and had children but they were family in name only and they left him and hurt him and he hurt them. And when the market did what markets do he lost everything and there he was a lonely, broken, self-centred wreck. And his heart yearned for home. But had been a decade or more. He didn't even know who was alive and who was dead, but he had nothing left. And so he wrote a letter to an address he could barely recall. And it said this, Father, there are no words to express who I am or what I have done, but I would like to see you, even if just once. I know I have hurt you, and I do not presume that you want to see me. I do not want to cause you hurt or shame or embarrassment. Next Saturday I will be on the train that passes through our village. If I may see you, would you tie a ribbon on the branch of the tree near our house and I will see it? If there is a ribbon, if there is no ribbon there, I will stay on the train. And he sent the letter. And he spent the last of his money on the train ticket. And on that Saturday, as he drew near to the village, he couldn't look. And he turned to the stranger sitting next to him. Excuse me, sir, can you do something for me? I cannot bear to look. And from memory, he described his father's house and the tree that was near it. Sir, he says, can you tell me, is there a ribbon tied to that tree? And the stranger took pity on him and scanned out the window. My friend, he said, I cannot see one ribbon. And I cannot even see the tree because it is covered in ribbons. And there is a man running alongside the train and he has ribbons in his hands and he is running alongside towards the platform. In our restlessness, in our anxieties, in our sins... The good news of the Christian faith is simply this. God, our Father, is running alongside our train. And everything about him, every plunging step, every cross-scraping pent, every longing of his heart is welcome home. In Christ, we are the community of God you and I. Whatever happens to us affects each other, and above all, it affects our Father. In Christ, we are at home, you and I. We can drop our guard with him. We can be at rest. Before we are anything else, before we are an effective community hub here at St Bart's, before we are a worshipping community in Netherthorpe, And certainly before we are a Church of England parish and a united benefice, we need to get on that train, look out that window, and trust in God. He is our home. Before we are anything else, you and I, professionals, missionaries, social activists, or simply people who are getting through each day and making the best of it, before that, our home is in God or else all those things are just forms of self-reliant independence. Before we are anything else, you and I, before we are men or women, friends, couples, parents, brothers, sisters, children, we need to be at home in God, because he's the one who makes our home into a home. And in fact, if we're going to look at that story, which I haven't even mentioned explicitly, but you know I have, It's not about comparing ourselves with just the prodigal son here. If we are to embrace this world with the light and love of God, then we need to manifest the heart of the welcoming father. We ourselves need to be the ribbons on the tree, the face of the running, welcoming one, opening our hearts, our homes, our lives and our vulnerabilities so that everything about us shines brightly. Welcome home because we are at home. We cannot do it, though, if we are cold and in the dark and do not abide in the vine. So this morning, let me reiterate that question one more time. Where is your home? The welcome of Jesus is here, and every Sunday this is meant to be a time we are reminded of that, where we re- reconnect with him. This is where God meets with us collectively, and that's what this time is about, before it is anything else. So can I cannot offer you then the rest of this time on this Sunday, either here in this room or in our, wherever the live stream's going, as a place where you can, figuratively speaking, get on the train, make the step, remember the refuge you once knew in the arms of the Father, and perhaps figuratively speaking, you need to recognize that the ribbons of grace are running alongside, and you can get off at the platform and fall into his arms. There is a table in this room, the table of the Lord, for us to be present. There's a song we're about to sing, and then we can dwell in it. We probably won't know it, but you can hear the words. Sit with him and allow his spirit to embrace you, perhaps breathe on you and stroke your hair in an embrace of love. And there is a prayer that I want to pray. I've been praying it every day for a couple of weeks in this season. It was on my heart to pray for myself, it's on my heart to pray for the wider church, but it's actually written for us here. So I wonder if you could join with me in this prayer as we pray together. Glory to you, O God, King of the universe. We give you thanks for your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour, whose name we bear and to whom we belong. You have led us to this time and place. We give you thanks for all that you have given us. Save us now from the weariness of our own self-reliance. Fill us with your Spirit that we may know you better. Open the eyes of our heart that we may see you and adore you. Enliven our imagination that we may long for that which only you can do. Awaken us that we might know your presence and truly be the living and active body of Christ. Made one with Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen.